That's good faith. See, aren't you glad you came to church tonight? You know? Because things like this happen and that, that, that sometimes I feel, you know, and we don't do that every single time. Sometimes the men and I get together and we pray about it and whatever, and that's the normative way. But every now and then I say, you know what? Especially the Wednesday night crowd, you folks that come out here, you're tired, you know, it's kind of fun. All right, thank you for coming on, uh, joining us online. We've been having a good time here at the church and uh, glad to have you online in our Life of Messiah study. I was telling the folks here, tonight's Bible study, if I get all the way through it, uh, it's fascinating, especially if you're a nerd when it comes to Bible study. If you, like, if you like knowing why the Bible works the way it does and you appreciate the Jewish perspective, this is one of those nights for you, all right? If, if, if you just like application, well, there's some of that tonight. Matter of fact, there's a lot of it tonight. Let's get into it. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 tonight. Remember that Jesus' ministry now things are heating up. The Pharisees are into their second stage of evaluating the claims of Jesus' messianic movement. And remember the first one was observation, but the second stage, once the Sanhedrin said, yep, this is a viable movement, then the second stage was interrogation. And at that stage, the Pharisees would go out and over a period of time, they were, their purpose was to evaluate and ask questions. Stage one, they had to keep their mouth zipped. But in stage two, they were able to ask questions. Now, last week, we saw the beginning of this in the call of Matthew. And remember Matthew, after he followed the call to full-time ministry, has this big meal at his house with the publicans and sinners. And the Pharisees are watching this and they challenge, they ask questions. Now, tonight, with that kind of background and what we're going to look at tonight, we are going to get to the main reason why the Pharisees rejected Jesus as the Messiah. If you were to ask most Christians, why did the Pharisees reject Jesus as the Messiah? I don't know how many of them would come uh, to the correct answer. Um, there's a lot to learn and understand about the Pharisees. Matter of fact, tonight, why we're going to take this much time and kind of nerd out here a little bit into uh, the Jewish perspective, because Dr. Frutenbaum takes a significant amount of time in his unabridged version on this segment, uh, because it's the beginning of a bunch of information that's going to be predicated upon understanding the Jewish perspective. So I hope this is beneficial to you. Um, when it comes to a Pharisee, if someone is called a Pharisee, even in our culture today, what, what does that come across to you as? And if I say someone's a Pharisee, what are you saying about them? All right, they're legalistic. They have negative, they're negative. All right, they're, they're, they're negative always. Good. Anybody else? When you think of the term, they're not nice people. That sums it up. Anybody else? They're a stick in the mud. Ooh, these Pharisees are getting it. Come on, there's one other big word that I think that all of us would consider. Yeah, Doug? Hypocrite. There's, the, there's. I was going to give a, a hint, but Doug didn't need it. You know, it's certainly all these things come in. You know, where the affairs is a hypocrite. Is is there anything good that could be said of a Pharisee? This is it. <laughs> based on the four point says based on those definitions, no. Yeah, but this is a bunch of Gentile Christians making evaluations. Mel, they dress nice. They always had the, the best fabrics and all those colors based on their rank, kind of like the military, like those officers that wear all those obnoxious medals they wear and stuff, you know. Sorry, Will. Um, that's just a little jab at the officers. Yeah, Will? All right. Uh, they're misguided, but I, there were certainly some of them that felt they were really doing the right thing. I mean, was Nicodemus? We know, you know, we eventually believe he came to faith. Um, anybody else? Yeah, Bill? The 
They really were. Yes, they were, they, were the, they were considered the conservative theologians of the day. They were not the progressives that the, the Sadducees would have been seen more as progressives who, who said you allegorized everything and they didn't believe in the literal resurrection and the Pharisees did. That's good. Anybody else? Anything positive you could say about Yeah, Doug? They were dedicated scholars. They were dedicated scholars. They're, 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 that is a very, they were. Anybody else? Yes. They had a zeal, um, you know, you, you, you gotta, you know, admires at times their, their zeal. Um, anybody else? Well, you guys, look at this. Our, our church has more good to say about Pharisees than not. I don't know what that says, 4.0, about what, what that means about us. Um, but, you know, one of the things I put in there, the Pharisees were, were phenomenal at their memorization of, the, especially the Torah. But particularly all the Old Testament, but particularly the five first five books, they, you know, I, I have a couple friends now at this point uh, that are Orthodox Jewish followers, and I'll tell you, they, <laughs> if you're going to discuss with them the Old Testament, do your homework because they they know they know their stuff. So I don't think that it was necessarily all bad, but yet ultimately the leadership they were very vile and wicked, and they had evil hearts, and Jesus called him out on that. But um, Dr. Frutenbaum goes into great detail on what and why the Pharisees believed as they did when Jesus is on the scene and what we see in the, in the gospel accounts. And I think this is very relevant information. Now, we're going to set the stage um, by looking at an issue tonight where Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees because his disciples did not fast. Now, don't you think fasting is a good thing? Uh, we're going to talk, we won't get to it tonight, but eventually, you know, I think fasting, um, it should be a part of every believer who is physically healthy enough to do it. It should be part of their spiritual routine. Uh, and the issue that we're going to look at tonight is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Luke gives the most information, so that's why we're in Luke. Now, tonight we're going to begin in Luke chapter 5 and verse number 33. Um, Luke chapter 5 and begin verse 33. Um, and they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees? But thine eat and drink. Um, this is probably the only verse we're going to cover tonight, and I would like to say it's a short lesson. It's going to have to be because I'm, I'm about out of time. But uh, the Pharisees bring up the issue of fasting and praying, and they say that even the disciples of John the Baptist fast. And he says, But why don't yours? Now, this particular conflict, as long with others we'll see, bring to light the real and the ultimate reason they reject uh, Jesus as the Messiah. Um, it was ultimately because Jesus rejected Pharisaism. Now, the system of belief that the Pharisees of this time held to were largely developed during, again, the 400 silent years. Remember, I did a series here, actually it was only one Sunday, on Hanukkah, and I showed you how important the events between the Old and New Testament really were. And I think it's a disservice when many people are taught, well, there's just this dead space between the Old and the New Testament. No, there was not. God was setting the table. A lot of significant things happened in those 400 years. And one of them was this, this change in, in um, the study of the scriptures. As Dr. Frutenbaum says, there was a transition from biblical Judaism to rabbinic or Pharisaic Judaism. 
And this all occurred during these 400 years. Now, when you go back and you look at the history, uh, it begins with the story with the school of spiritual leaders of rabbinic, you know, they would go to their different schools, their different seminaries, if you will. And there was a group that became dominant, and they were known as the Sophorim. And the Sophorim is a Hebrew word that literally means the scribes. And if you know anything prior to Jesus' time and all the way even through, the scribes were those who were focused on the scriptures, and they were very intent on being obedient to the laws of Moses. And by the way, it doesn't just have 10, you know, the 10 commandments. I know this will be uh, probably controversial, but the 10 commandments are part of the entire Old Testament Mosaic law system. And the Jewish, these folks, the rabbis into this very day observe 613 of them in the Old Testament. 613. It's not just 10 you got to keep. And I know some people like to separate. The Ten Commandments are different, but I would, there's, we don't see that anywhere in the New Testament, that principle of separating. You know, they all, the Mosaic Law is the Mosaic Law, all 613 of them. You see, the Pharisees and the children of Israel had learned if we violate what God told us to do, what happens? The Babylonians show up and tear down our city and tear down our temple and we go into bondage. We don't want to do that again. So what's to do? Let's make sure we're being obedient to the Mosaic law. That's a good thing, right? Now, what they did to make sure that was happening with all the people, they said, well, if God gives us a certain law, we need to make sure that we never get close to that law. So uh, what they would do in the terminology that Dr. Frutenbaum used, and I've heard it used other places, is they, they would build a fence around each law. The idea was it was better to break a rabbinic law if I build this fence and I make this new law, it's better to break that one than it is to actually break the law of God, right? So let's put that one there as a, as a stopgap. Now, is building a fence a good idea? The principle I've, I've just shared. Anybody, you think that's a good idea? All right, I got some yeses, any noes? Any noes? I'll be like Andrew in his auctioning. Do I hear a no? Do I hear a no? Melody's going, no, she don't think it is. I mean, I think, I, I think depending on what perspective you might look at it, you could see both ways. Now, I would tell you, I think uh, sometimes building fences has, has gotten a bad rap in our day, and I would tell you, you probably know how Satan gets you. If I, now I'm not asking, there's no show of hands on this, okay? You know, I'm not asking for, you don't answer out, but you probably know what sin is it that Satan knows you're weak at and he pries at you on? And when you're down, what maybe maybe you're prone to discouragement. Maybe maybe you're prone to arrogance. I don't know. Maybe you got a temper. Whatever your issue is, you know, I would be one that would tell you. You know, you probably should put a fence around that. You probably ought to put something up that you get in a stopgap before you're losing control. But it can be taken too far, and the Pharisees certainly did that. Now, we think that the laws that the Pharisees had just happened. No, it took probably, like I said, around 400 years for some of these of Jesus' day. And, um, but it was, it was a result of a type of logic that they followed in their day. Now, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. This is a Pastor Danny one to do on an as apologetics channel, and I do not have the handle on it that he does. But, you know, there's even today there's different types of Logic, where like for example, somebody builds up a straw man argument, right? Would that be one of them? And then what? Can you give me another one, Pastor? I don't know, I'm putting him on the spot here. I don't. Know. All right, appeal to emotion fallacy. You know, there, there's several. These are systems of of logic, good, bad, or indifferent. 
Well, they had one that was, that was called a pill pull. One word, pill pull. Isn't that a great word? P-I-L-P-U-L, pill pull. I don't know where it came from. Dr. Arnold doesn't tell us. I don't know. But he, he defines it as this. Given a specific statement or commandment, how many new regulations could logically be derived from that original statement or commandment? In other words, if I give you the commandment, thou shalt not enter into, from the side door, how many rules could we make to help ensure that doesn't happen? Probably a lot. We could be here all night trying to think of ways to make sure no one comes into this door. You know, the easy one is we just put Big Mike there and say, don't come in here. Um, you can do a lot. Now, Dr. Frutenbaum goes on and tells us, um, gives an example of this. And I want to do this, and maybe this is all I'll be able to get to tonight. Maybe I'll have to cut it here and pick things up next week because I don't think I'm going to run out of time. But it's, it's interesting to me how when you read the Old Testament many times in particular, there's some really, let me be honest, there's kind of some weird things in there when, in the Mosaic Law, the things they were commanded to do or not to do. Some of them, I don't, I, you know, I don't understand all of them. Um, I'm glad that when Jesus died on the cross, that as Paul wrote, that the handwriting of ordinances that was against us was nailed to his cross, Colossians says. Um, and that we're no longer under the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Messiah. And uh, that's another sermon. But I want to take you tonight, if you have your Bible and you want to look at it, Exodus chapter number 23. All right, Exodus chapter 23. And I'm going to take you to a verse of scripture that is just going to be powerfully meaningful to you. And you're going to go, oh man, I know I can just, I can write a sermon on that. Um, well, we're going to look at it. Uh, in Exodus chapter number 23... And verse number, I think, 19, all right? Exodus 23 and verse number 19. This is fascinating, at least to a nerd like me, it's fascinating. Um, the Bible says, The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Here's the rule now. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. Now, has anybody tonight violated that Mosaic law? You'd be thankful you're not under the law of Moses. I know y'all went tonight and got yourself a, a baby goat and cooked it in its mother's milk, right? A bunch of you did that? Anybody have any kid? Any have any baby goat tonight? No, okay, nobody. <laughs> one got away. There's one loose in the auditorium. Somebody get it. <laughs> That's funny. So the question is, why, why is that verse there? What, what, what's, the, what, what's, the, what's going on here? Um, why did God say that? Well, Dr. Frutenbaum points out that this law was given to the, the people there at this time to avoid a Canaanite practice. When a goat gave birth to its firstborn kid, firstborn you know, baby, the Canaanites would take the kid, the baby, away from the mother milk the mother, then boil the meat of the kid in the milk of its mother as a first fruits offering to Baal. Remember what the context of the verse I just read you is? First fruit offering. And then he makes this statement here. And you learn that Baal, when, when if you were a follower of Baal and you had a goat, the first time that goat gave birth, the very first child, you took the milk from the mother, put it in a big pot, and then you slaughtered that firstborn baby and cooked it in there and I don't know if they and then offered it to Baal and God says don't do that 
because you're identifying with a worship practice of Baal. Makes sense now, doesn't it? Now you know why you shouldn't see the, the kid, even though we're not under law. So if you want to do that, technically, you'd be, you'd be fine to do that at this point, I guess. But as Dr. Fortenbaum points out, this commandment was given around 1400 B.C. It's a thousand years later. Now it's 400 B.C. And there were no Canaanites around anymore. Um, no one was boiling kids in the milk of the mother to go to, you know, the mother's goat anymore. So the original intent of that law was really not relevant in the culture. Now, the principle of that law, can we still learn from that today? Which is why those who say, well, the Old Testament isn't valid. No, people, I'm not saying the Old Testament is not valid, please. Some people accuse my position of being that. No, Jesus just fulfilled the Mosaic law and we're not under that law. But that doesn't mean we, that God didn't reserve it and preserve it in the word of God for our edification today. He did. And I could preach a message out of Exodus 23. Maybe I should sometimes saying, you know, are you seething the milk or the goat, the baby goat in the milk? You know, what are you and I doing that is a worship practice of our environment today, of our culture today? You say, what do you mean? Well, this is not in my notes. This is free tonight. But, you know, I would tell you that most Christians are really big into watching whether they're watching the MTV Awards or even anymore. I'm sad to say the Country Music Awards. A lot of those things. And we saw it live this year. We saw acts on stage that were nothing more than, than satanic worship practices. My opinion, a believer trotting on down the road with music from an artist that is clearly identified with that type of behavior is seething the milk in, or the, you know, is doing the worship to Baal. See, the principle can be very applicable to today, but he's not saying, and, and that's the wonderful thing about the word of God, that the principle stands, and for the Jewish people, that principle in law still did stand, and if I were in Jesus' day, I would not be seething the milk, and I would still be observing that, but I would be observing what the scripture said, even though I'd be going, I don't know why, you know, we, you know anybody want to cook the firstborn of the goat? In the, you know, probably wasn't a thing. But a lot of that original intent, they just lost sight of. Um, now, Dr. Frutenbaum says this, that with the Sofrim then, the school of theology that came on with this mindset of the pill-pull logic system, they came and looked at this, this type of commandment and said this, you know, how do we make sure that we never, 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 ever, ever, ever boil a kid in the milk of its mother? Now, I want you to think about that. How could you make sure, if with the pill-pull logic of how many different ways can we make this accomplished, that we never get this done. And this logic started happening. So, you know, here's what Dr. Frutenbaum says. It's pretty good. He said, suppose you eat a piece of meat and with the meat, you drink a glass of milk. It is possible that the meat from the young of the animal that produced the milk that you are drinking. In other words, you, that you could be violating that. As you swallow both the meat and the milk, it mixes in your stomach and you see the kid in the milk of its mother. Thus the law came into being a Jew may not eat milk and meat products at the same time. After meat meals, one must wait about four hours before eating dairy. By the way, I think that's still an Orthodox Jewish rule to this day. Um, he goes on and says, however, the pill-pull logic went even further. Suppose at noon you, eat, uh, you choose to eat a dairy meal. You, you take a plate and from this you eat some cheese. After you eat the cheese, you may wash and scrub the plate thoroughly, but there just might be a tiny speck of cheese still left on the plate that you did not see. 
In the evening you choose to eat a meat, and you place the meat on the same plate from which you ate the cheese earlier that day. The meat might then pick up a tiny speck of cheese, and no matter how remote, it might it just might be possible that the cheese you had at noon was made from the milk of the mother of the baby goat that you are eating later in the day. As you swallow this tiny speck of cheese with the meat, you seed the kid in the milk and its mother and again violate the Torah. Thus another new law came into being that all Jews must have two sets of dishes. One is to be used for dairy products and one is for meat products. If one accidentally uses a wrong dish for the uh, item eaten, the dish must be either destroyed or given to a Gentile. <laughs> but no Jew may eat from that plate ever again. To each of the 613 commandments God gave to Moses, the Sophorim issued multiple new rules and regulations. This is why even to this day, if you ever go, if you're like your house shopping, and you're in certain areas of the country where there's a strong Orthodox Jewish population, you can, you can tell if you're in a house that was built by an observant Jewish person. Some of you ladies will really like this. You'll notice that in the kitchen, there will be two ovens, two dishwashers, two sinks, two of everything. And the reason for that is because they separate the dairy from the meat. They don't want the two. They won't even put them in the same dishwasher. And so that that zeal to be observant to the law maintains to this very day. Isn't that fascinating? Um, I think I'm going to stop here for today because if I go further, I'm going to end up getting where I can't stop in a, in a, in a, in a spot. So I think it's better if I do here. Um, I'm going to pick it up here, Lord willing, next Wednesday night, and we'll continue on talking about this. Uh, it is fascinating, and it will help you understand why the Pharisees are so ticked off at Jesus and why they reject him. So thank you for tuning in tonight. If you're watching online, we're glad to have had you for this shorter than normal Life of Messiah. But hey, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you all, Lord willing, on uh, Sunday. Let's uh, close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word tonight. Thank you for um, the freedom uh, that we found in your finished work. Uh, thank you that grace uh, abounds much greater. Uh, Lord, help us to live in freedom and in grace. And yet at the same time, Lord, help us to honor you in all that we do. Help us, as you said in... Uh, in the New Testament also that we are not to be involved in idolatry and other wickedness. So help us to live um, as your children and as lights in the world in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here tonight. How about that? I got you done seven minutes early um, and uh, I think it's all good. We'll see y'all, uh, you know, I don't, Pastor Danny, I don't have any announcements or anything for this weekend, right?